Imagine that you were born into a very poor family, living in a poverty-stricken area of the world. You barely have enough to eat or wear, and on top of that, your father is always abusive, both physically and emotionally. He never compliments you, always puts you down. Your mother doesn't help either. She's so self-absorbed that all she does is complain and whine about the state of things now and the future. Life is miserable, and you're learning how not to live. You have no love, no wisdom. But you have a friend who has a different kind of family. Though his parents are not excessively rich, they are very responsible. The father of this family is a strong and gentle. He always encouraging his children and leading them in wisdom and faith. The mother of the family is a very gentle, nurturing mom who always comforts and encourages. She's very humble and submits to the father in all things. One day as you're considering your plight and looking at your friend, you say, why couldn't I have been born into that family? <laughs> they seem so happy and healthy. Obviously, you can't control what family you're born into. And it would take a miracle for you to actually be born into this other family. So you're stuck. Or are you? As I consider the series we're doing today, I realize the most important thing of all is that we understand our birth. And I want you to turn to John chapter 3, very familiar passage, Gospel of John chapter 3. And I want to say this before we read this. I am not preaching at any individual today. I do not know your heart. I am just telling you what God laid on my heart. And so you can take it or leave it, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will cause you to take it. John chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to read verse 1 through 21. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, But you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus said, and you, a teacher of Israel, are you a teacher of Israel and yet do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. For if I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except him 
excuse me, no one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their works are evil. Hmm. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Um, one time a man came up to a preacher by the name of George Whitfield. Any, you ever heard of George Whitfield? He, was, he and John Wesley were kind of the start, starters of the Methodist movement. But they disagreed on a few things. However, they worked together very well. And someone came to George Whitfield one time and said, Why do you always preach you must be born again? Over and over and over. And he said, When will you stop preaching this? He says, I'll stop when you're actually born again. <laughs> You see, as we consider the series we're doing, the most important thing we understand is that you cannot keep in step with the Spirit of God unless you have the Spirit of God. It's just that simple. In the church, we often talk about being born again, and sometimes people don't understand why, and there's a very good reason, because it's based on very clear teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ That he says you can't even see the kingdom of God and even further you can't even enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Other translations sometimes just say you must be born again. Now remember the man who came to him at night was a very religious person. According to Jesus he should have understood these things. Should have understood these things. But he didn't. Why? Because he was just religious And even though he thought his religion would be acceptable to God, Jesus cut through that deception very quickly, didn't he? As I get up here each week and look out over the congregation, I often wonder myself to myself, how many of the people out here in front of me are actually born again? I wonder... If people even really understand what it means. So we're going to start with the starting place. You have to start in the spirit. You can't just begin to act like a Christian one day or come to church and expect that to work. You might even fool me or any of us. But eventually your life will reveal what family you belong in. So to begin with, let's uh, examine these statements of Jesus here. But I want to start with verse 6 and make you understand something that what he's saying. 
that which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said you must be born again. He means here that the flesh here isn't just physical birth or physical body. It's, it really means a nature that you have in you at birth. Last night I had an opportunity to see my little granddaughter portray that sin nature in amazing <laughs> clarity. To the point where her mom and dad were like this. And my daughter said, there's nothing I can say except that even though she's a year and a half old, she's a sinner. Well, you see, as try as you may, you can't change your nature. Mainly because your nature is rooted in sin. The default tendency of every man and every woman born into this world is to reject God. That's the default tendency of everyone. The default tendency to reject Him, His laws, His statutes, His decrees, and even His right to judge us. Sometimes we get aggravated about that. It comes from this continuous rebellious nature inbred in us called the flesh. The nature controls how we react to our world, and to God, and you're like the person I described in the beginning, locked into a terrible family. And you can't be born into another one by any means of your own. Nowhere in this passage did Jesus command anybody to born themselves again. Nowhere. It's a miraculous work of God. On a rebellious heart where he grants that person repentance and faith. Also, he didn't say that your physical makeup would be changed when you're born again. He didn't say if you have a heart condition, your body will no longer have that heart condition after you're born again. Or, ladies, having a baby will be just as painful after being born again than it was before. That's why flesh that is flesh stays flesh. Listen, 1 Corinthians 15:50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit imperishable. What is he saying here? John, are are you sure we're that corruptible? Are you really sure? <laughs> well, Sometimes it's difficult to believe that we're actually as bad as God says we are. We go to church. We feel good about ourselves. Maybe we're trying to be good people. But we've disbelieved what God says about us. I'm going to read some scripture out of Romans chapter 3, 10 through 18. Turn there if you will. If you don't want to, that's okay. Just listen or write it down and look it up later. Romans chapter 3, 10 through 18. This is Paul writing here, and he says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Hmm. 
No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throats like an open grave, their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Hmm. Now, that one statement, there is no fear of God before their eyes, undergirds everything he just said about how bad we are without Christ now. Okay? There's no fear of God. What does that mean? It means we're not aware or convinced that there's a God watching and weighing every thought, action, and attitude that we have. But he is. There's no acknowledgement of even being created by God. And therefore, no understanding of being held accountable by God. Because God created us to be in His image. He has a perfect right to call us into account and judge us accordingly. And since God is holy and has a right to expect us to be holy, in His holiness, He repels unholiness with unleashed rage and wrath. That's not what He wants for you. God loves you. We just read it. God so loved. There's no, there's, there's no particular person or, you know, tall, short, skinny, fat. There's nobody in there, you know, black, white. There's nobody. He just says God so loved the world that he gave up his son. He does not want you to live to be under his wrath. But you're not going to be able to change yourself. You're stuck by yourself. A leopard can't change his spots, neither can you and I. In order for us to become a completely new person, we have to be born of a different father. Now, Jesus said to the Pharisees, You are of your father, the devil. And the works of your father you will do. He also told people the righteousness that you have to have in order to enter heaven has to be greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees. And oh my goodness, people thought, well, that's crazy. These are the most righteous people we know. But they weren't, were they? They were the most awful, burdensome people. And then... To have any chance of being what God requires of us, we're told over and over and over again, you must be born again. Now, I want to stop for a minute and tell you, the rest of this series is going to be telling you who you are in Christ, what you have, the the amazing privileges and power that you have as a Christian. Even power to sustain suffering When it comes your way and persecution, the power not to cave under it. But what good would it do to go through a section like that and to go through a study like that and have you not even be born again in the first place? Everything would zip right over your head or go in one ear and out the other. It wouldn't mean anything to you you, because you'd sit there and say, I'm a Baptist, I'm religious, I'm righteous, I'm good, I'm just as good as the next guy. Just 
whatever kind of tirade you want to come up with. (laughs) But the problem is, Jesus said, if you're not born of the Father, you can't even see the kingdom. You can't even enter the kingdom. Because that which is flesh is just flesh. And it's born flesh, and it dies flesh. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he entrusted to us and to you, by the way, this message of reconciliation. Wow. We're not going out, you know, the Derringers are not going down to Vanuatu to say, come and join our church. Come and come and uh, be a part of what we're doing. Come and be like us, are you? They're going to say, come and be born of the Father from heaven through His Son, Jesus Christ. You've been reconciled already. God has done everything to make you acceptable. All you need to do is take it as a gift. Then the issue becomes this. Am I? Really? A new creature. Am I in Christ? At the risk of making you doubt your salvation, even though you truly may be, it's hard to consider this because keeping in step with the Spirit is impossible for someone who's not born again. So God loves you, and even while we're ungodly, He loves us. I don't really understand that. I don't know if any of you understand it. I, I woke up at... Two, three o'clock this morning, thinking about this. Why on earth would you love me? I know what I was and I know what I am right now. <laughs> I know what I'm capable of now. And I look and I say, God, why would you possibly love me? It just does. Right? It just does. But the love isn't because you've got you are someone to who's so lovable that God just can't keep his hands off of you. The love is in God Himself. He is love. You say, Well, how can he be love and pour out all this wrath on sinners? He made you and I to look like him in our character. And he has every right to destroy that which is not reflecting him. Every right. And I want you to understand something. When I was a kid, we used to play follow leader. Anybody ever play follow leader on the schoolyard or whatever? Did you ever do that? Okay. Well, the guys I ran around with were really smart. We'd always pick the weakest, smallest, less athletic kid to be the leader. Because we knew that there was nothing that he or she could do that we couldn't do. Makes follow the leader real easy. But I have to tell you something. That's not the way it is in the kingdom of God. God does not lower the standard to make your performance acceptable. Do you hear that? He does not 
lower the standard so your religion is, makes you acceptable. The standard is Jesus Christ and Him alone. Listen to what He says in Acts chapter 17, 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world by the righteousness of one man whom He has appointed and given us assurance by raising Him from the dead. You are going to be compared to Jesus Christ. The leader you're following can't make a mistake. You're going to be compared to him. You say, that's just ridiculous. Who could possibly get to heaven that way? Well, there's good news about this. You see, what he's saying is that you're going to be, he's going to judge each and every person by the standard of the righteousness of his son. Because that's the way he intended us to be in the first place in the first Adam. He made him in whose image? His. He expected him to act, think, and have attitudes just like God. And when he sinned, he was a marred image. And God verified that by raising him from the dead. Yes, you're going to be compared to Christ himself. And if you're not as righteous as he is, you're not going into heaven. Now, I could shut my book and everybody could go home depressed right now. (laughs) But that's not the end of the story. I'm not as good as Jesus. So what am I doing up here behind this old piece of wood? You're not as good as Jesus. Why are you sitting in those pews? In our first birth of fleshly origin, what do we need? We need to be born into the same family that Jesus was born into. Get it? I'm not talking about Joseph and Mary. I'm talking about being born of the Father Himself, born from above. A confusing thing to many, and it was confusing to Nicodemus, was this isn't something we can do by ourselves. In fact, God doesn't even need our help at all. But no matter how much God would include us in His family, our sinfulness has created a rift between us and God the Judge instead of God the Father. How did God come up with a way to accept simple people like us and count us to be just as righteous as Jesus? Well, he used a substitute. God's justice had to be satisfied before God could offer anything to anybody. Before God's mercy could be administered. We can't die for our sins and come back alive. We stay dead. We are described as already being dead in our sins anyway in Ephesians 2. So we can't improve on that. Dead is dead, right? So God gave his son to this world as a gift. Now this is what staggers the imagination. That God would send his son as a sacrificial gift to those who deserve just the opposite. To those who really stand before God and grasp exactly what it is that they deserve and then say, why would he do this? Why would he do this? For God so loved. That's why he did it. 
I don't even understand that kind of love. You come up and smack me in the face, I'm ready to fight. Initially, until I calm down. You smack Jesus in the face, he turns the other cheek. You may not realize by seeing this, but Jesus didn't come just to teach us how to live. Oh, there's some good principles in the Word of God. There are. There's a lot of, you know, if if, uh, people would just follow those principles, they'd live a better life. They wouldn't be saved, but they'd live a better life. But he came to die. And it wasn't just for the sins of our past. It was historical death. What did I mean by that? He died for the historical past and the historical future. You may not realize that seeing Jesus dying for you and staking your eternity on this death could possibly have any effect on your relationship with God. But remember this. When God saw his son suffering on that cross, he was completely satisfied. He had no wrath left. He had no rage left. He had judged sin. He didn't have to judge you anymore. He was satisfied. He saw this awful suffering that anyone, no one had ever endured before like him, literally with God pouring out his wrath on his own son. Now he has nothing else to judge. Now, is everybody going to heaven because of that? Well, there's a preacher by the name of Rob Bell, and he teaches that, that because Jesus died for the world, everybody's going to heaven. And I guess he includes Hitler and other kinds of people like that in there, but he's wrong. Because God puts a predication on this. What Rob Bell leaves out, and preachers like him, is that there's no repentance and faith required. But the Bible doesn't teach what Rob Bell teaches. When you listen to John 3.16, and he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him. Not the entire world, because we know the entire world. Paul said in a place that one place in his in his epistles, not all men have faith. So listen to Jesus in John three eighteen and nineteen. It's really simple. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Wow. Ever? No, never. But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only Son. And this is the judgment. That light has come into the world. You see, if Jesus hadn't come, we could walk around in our ignorance and maybe give God an excuse why he shouldn't judge us. I didn't know. But he has come. He has revealed God. He has given us the reality that God is and that he's very much alive. And he demonstrated it by his life, perfect life. This is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. The ultimate judgment falls on people who refuse to trust Jesus. Why? Because the reality of God has stepped into our presence. Light has come into our world. We are without excuse. And we are darkness. So finally, coming to the reality that God loves you. Hopefully you've been with me on that. (laughs) You still understand that. 
You can't save yourself, but you don't need to. Christ died for what you deserve, and he was buried and rose again to prove his righteousness. Making mere mental acknowledgement and joining a church does not make you born again. How can I know then? I mean, our natures are so bent toward evil and away from God, it takes a miracle of God to even bring us to Christ. Salvation is all of God from the beginning to the end. If you have any desire to believe in Him, you're being pursued by God. Not you pursuing Him. (laughs) Think about that. The evidence of being born again is this. That you have an overwhelming desire to belong to Jesus. That you can't help but believe the message of the testimony of God about His Son, even though sometimes it sounds ridiculous. That you can't be restrained from coming to Him and trusting Him for all of He's done and all He is for you. Your substitute in death and life. If you're willing to stop trying to be good and just come to Him like you are, ungodly. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans 4, 5. It says, To him who does not work, meaning for working for his salvation, but simply believes in him who justifies, that is, counts as righteous, the ungodly. Who? Who? Is that you? Is that me? You betcha. <laughs> it's me. It's you. We're not godly. We're not good. If you're willing to stop trying to be good, He offers himself to you. He doesn't change your old nature. He can't. He actually puts it to death gradually on the cross. Puts your sin completely away. Cuts you off from whatever you were clinging to before and makes you free. Namely, if you desire to come to him and you desire to follow him and worship him and spend time with him for eternity and you choose to take him and him alone as your savior, that's proof That you're born again. You don't believe in him and cause your new birth. You are newly born and given faith in him. Now, don't look at yourself inwardly and say, you know, there's nothing in you that desires Jesus. Jesus gave us a very good example in John 314. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, what's that all about? Well, let me tell you what it's about. Back in Numbers, the people of God were fighting and arguing and, and, and complaining, and God got fed up with it, and he sent these fiery snakes in their midst, and the death rate of snake was like 15 minutes. You got 15 minutes before you die. And thousands of people died under the judgment of God. His own people. And so the people go to Moses and beg him, please tell God to take these snakes away. So Moses goes to God and God says, I'm not going to take them away. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a, a fashion, a bronze snake, and put it up on a pole in the middle of the camp, so high that everybody can see it. And if anyone is bitten, if he simply looks... 
he will not die. Now that sounds, I mean, the last thing you want to look at if you've been bit by a snake is what? A snake. (laughs) So they had to have the faith to believe what Moses told them God said, that if they got bit by one of these things, they had 15 to 30 minutes to look. That's all they had to do. You see, your ungodliness and my ungodliness has death associated with it. It is very fatal. And if you can't do anything about it, but God says through Jesus, just like that snake was raised up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man lift it up. When you look at Jesus, you are seeing your ungodliness being judged. Wow. In other words, that's the secret to being born again. Don't look inward. Don't try to change. Don't look and see, do I have faith? That's a good trick of the devil to get you to have faith in your faith. What he says is to look away from yourself. To him who's dying for you. You don't have any feelings about it. You might not feel anything. You might feel, you know, terribly sad or, or sorry that you caused his death. You might feel absolutely nothing, but you are determined that this is what you need. You look away to him and you rest your soul in his work, in his worth, and in his word. And if you do that, he says you will be born again. Now, question is, do you want to be? Without the Spirit of God, you can't keep in step with Him. I told you that before. Now, I don't know any heart here. Like I said, I'm not preaching anybody specifically. I hope I never looked at anybody staring at them. I usually try to pick people I know are saved and stare at them. That way, people who maybe think I'm talking to them don't think I'm looking at them. (laughs) To be honest with you, I'm looking at the door most of the time. But I treat anyone who names the name of Christ as if he's a brother and sister. That's the way I treat you. I don't know your heart. And I'm not the judge. I'm just the voice. That's all I am. Some of you have sat in church all your life. Some of you have sat in church all your life and ignored the invitation to come to Christ. And it comes from him, not from me. Having ignored the invitation of a free gift of salvation, ignoring the calling to be born again. Well, today's your day. Today is your day. Jesus put it this way. And I want you to understand, right where you're sitting, right now, you can humble your heart to the Lord, trust Him, and receive Him. Follow him. It's your choice. And you won't do it unless you're born again. You won't do it unless you are called to do it. You'll just go out of here, go home and watch the football game, forget everything else. By the way, uh, Green Bay's playing today, right? Okay. (laughs) What time tonight? Come on, tell me. 3.30, okay. I get time to get home and watch it. I'm sorry. I should not have gone there. Here I am giving an invitation. I start talking about the Packers. <clears throat> That's terrible. You see, I've adopted the Packers now because the Rams 
as miserable as they were when they were here, I still stayed loyal to them, and then they're gone, and uh, not. Anyway. But I want you to listen to this. If you feel the tug of God on your heart, and I don't know your heart, I don't care what church you went to. I don't care how many different churches you've gone to. I don't care if you've had some religious experience or that you're here every single Sunday. That's not the point. Are you born of God? Have you let God miraculously move you from one family to the other? So how will I know if Jesus would receive a rotten character like me? I struggled with that for a long time. Until I hit this verse, John 6:37, All whom the Father has given to me, that's the God's part, will come to me. That's your part. And he who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. Isn't that wonderful? You say, as sinful as I am, he'll take you just like you are. Just like you are. And after you've received him, humbly received him as your Lord, meaning boss, and Savior, then you should come down here and confess your faith in Christ. You won't be embarrassed by it because Jesus said this, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. And everyone who denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father. You can't be saved by getting out of your seat and walking down here. That will not save you. I've had people say, I walked the aisle. Well, pin a rose on your nose. What happened when you got down there? You don't have to come down here to get saved. You can get saved right where you are. You can receive not only the presence, but the power of God to live as God intended for you to live and glorify His Son. I mean, what He said here are both joyful and solemn words. Are you, in 2017, going to keep in step with the Spirit? How can you? Unless you're born again. But if you are, you're empowered to walk as he walked. I want you all to bow your heads. I'm not going to play the Baptist preacher thing. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. No. I want you to bow your head and I want you to think about something. You may never hear the gospel again. You may go out of here and not make it back. But if you really sincerely want Jesus Christ as your Savior, you really, really feel constrained to come to Him right now, right this moment. Don't count on some religious experience or what church you used to go to or this church you go to now. Count on Him. He's all you need. He's all you need. I'm going to pray. And while we're singing... If you feel like coming down here and saying, I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior now. I don't care if you thought you did before. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to God. God's more interested in right now. So let's, let's pray and then Rod will play a song and then you make the decision on your own with God's help. Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear that we must be born again. And Lord, I pray that everybody in this room would take advantage of that opportunity, that offer from you to receive the one 
who alone, only alone, can cause us to be born into your family. By taking him, we become a part of your family. We're sealed in that family forever. Even though we're still sinful, even though we're still ungodly, Lord, you see that, you understand that, but you're done judging sin on those who have trusted in Jesus. Like you said in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Help us to keep in step with the Spirit, to follow But help us to understand we can't do it without that spirit of yours dwelling in us. In Jesus' name, amen.